Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, we got tons to get to. Tons to get to. Mm-hmm. We're going to recap week four. Awesome interview coming up with Joel Klatt as well. Uh, we're going to do something at the end here where we rank the undefeated SEC teams. By the way, there are only five of those by virtue mm-hmm. of Arkansas going down to AM, losing just what turned out to be a wild, wild game. But I love the things. night for AM's resume. <laughs> Miami got schooled by Middle Tennessee State, and then they also beat Arkansas. It's if, almost like that win doesn't matter after tonight because they have a better one. Right. Like if, if my, if, so with Miami losing to Middle Tennessee, and what do they pay them? Like 1.5 million or something like that? Always. Yeah. The buyout yeah. tweets are my favorite. Dog. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's always 1.5 million. It's never 1.1. It's never 1.9. It's always mm-hmm. 1.5. I actually am saying that without knowing the exact number, but I'm just assuming it's 1.5 million that they paid for that, um, just like it was with AM and App State. But if AM had lost that game, and we'll talk about it more in depth in a second here. But if AM had lost that game, knowing what Miami just did to Middle oh, Tennessee. That's a good point. Yep. Oh man. Going into September, going into October with that second loss, it hits differently. Especially when you're preseason top 10. Go ask Michigan State about that. Actually, they oh, weren't man. preseason top 10. They were preseason <laughs> top 15. So I shouldn't even say that. But right. that second loss always just hits differently. And then suddenly you're looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, this is this is horrible. But AM avoids that. And instead mm-hmm. they beat a, a top 10 Arkansas team. Here's a crazy stat for you. Crazy stat that they showed uh at, at the end of the at the end of the game when Jimbo's out there. Uh, doing the post game interview, and he's got was was it his his son there with the you know he's got the the snap back on and stuff like yeah. that. Um, they said that A and M has three consecutive wins when facing AP top ten teams, and that's tied for the longest streak in the country, which is just bananas. Tied with how Baylor. about the big game Jimbo? They're calling him big game Jimbo. Yeah, many many people are saying. Um, so we're gonna get to all the games. We will do that. Uh, we're going to do one thing I liked for the non-SEC versus SEC games. But first, before we do all of that, let's take, let's take a quick timeout. Quick timeout. Talk about some of these spicy plays by Texas Pete, that is. Texas Pete has the spice and the flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce, first of all, what are you doing? Come on. Listen to this podcast. If you haven't had Texas yeah, Pete, come on now. Get it in your life. Uh, or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run. Do not walk to grab yourself a bottle today. Do the anti-pool um, rules, the lifeguard rules, when they say, hey, don't don't run over there. Don't run. No, no, no. This Texas Speed is telling you to run and go get yourself a bottle. Trust me, you will not regret it. Visit TexasPeed.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Let's start with Florida and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. This game was everything I hoped it would be. It really was. And like, I, I don't have a dog in the fight, but all I wanted from this game was Hendon Hooker and Anthony Richardson playing at a high level. And Absolutely. they did. We had drama until the very end. If you flipped off this game a little bit early when it was 38 to 21, you're thinking to yourself, all right, Tennessee's got this in the bag. No, 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 no. It's never that easy. It is never that easy. Even down to that, when Florida recovered the onside kick, how many Tennessee fans are thinking to themselves, oh, we might just be cursed. Here we go again, dog. I, I saw it on the faces of the crowd. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. That's that's a camera that's a, a camera operator's dream when you can yep. pan the crowd and see this this look of terror. And look, I feel for Tennessee fans in that moment and plenty plenty are just experiencing the worst possible thoughts. And, and how devastating that would have been for Tennessee if Anthony Richardson had been able to complete a Hail Mary at the end. That would have been a, a game, a classic Another for the Hail Mary. Because <laughs> uh, they lost in 2017 like that. But that that game was at least tied. <laughs> I'll give yeah, them that. That's a good point, yeah. It's totally different if you had thrown a Hail Mary when you're losing and after you recovered an onside kick, that would have been just like the ultimate gut punch to realize they were up, what, 17 with five minutes left in that game. That did not happen, though. Mm-hmm. Tennessee wins this game, beats Florida, beats one of its rivals for the first time since 2016. When Hennon took that fall in the, I think it was, what, second quarter, first half, whenever it was, mm-hmm. and you see he's holding on to his shoulder. I'm thinking, man, this sucks. I, I really hope that, that, that he's not hurt because we were seeing signs early on that it was going to be a really, really fun day. Even though the score was kind of quiet, I actually thought both teams were playing really well and, and moving the football offensively. Um, but that didn't happen. And instead, we get a performance from Hendon Hooker that I think I'm not going to go as far as RG3 did and say that he needs to be the runaway leader in the Heisman discussion. By that the way, a menace. I love it. <laughs> by the way, uh, RG3 coming to a Saturday Down South podcast near you uh, later this week. Yeah, that's that's happening. Um, news. Yeah. So I'm not going to go as far to say that as much as we are hen dogs on this podcast. We absolutely are. Mm-hmm. But how could you not like that guy? How can you not like the toughness, the grit that he plays with in a game in which no Cedric Tillman? Find that out in the mor- Saturday morning when I texted you that, Will, and you're like, oh, oh, that's we, we had no idea. Credit yeah. Tennessee for keeping that under wraps and not letting that that you know that that news kind of leak out during the week. And I don't know if that would have changed our overall outlook, but it shows us why we have so much confidence in this Tennessee offense, why we have so much confidence in Hendon Hooker. Because boy, Brew McCoy, too. Nasty game by him. Brew Brew is, I'm going to continue to talk him up. And I am usually not this guy that talks up the five star with all the potential, blah, blah, blah. If you watch Brew McCoy play football and the way that he is able to get space on the outside, the way that he is able to to capitalize in the open field when those opportunities are there in Florida, I know had a couple instances where they had uncovered defenders, but. He makes you a believer. He really does. And I think Tennessee fans are so, so thankful that he is eligible for this team because he is a an absolute difference maker. And a game like that shows you why you bet on talent. It, 100%. He's that five-star that we've all believed in. Like, oh, if he finds the right home, man, he, he'll figure it out. He's one of the few that really actually seems to have found the right home and will figure it out. And, and credit him because he looks like a guy who has continued to work and continue to improve. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know that receiver was always his natural position, but because he was somebody who, as we talked about before, they were debating whether or not he was going to be a linebacker at the college yep. level. I mean, he is that kind of size. And he and Jalen Hyatt were were just tremendous in this game. And Hendon Hooker really trust them. You could see that. But if you were Tennessee – you just couldn't let this slip away. That's what this comes down to. If you would let this one slip away and you would sit there knowing that for 365 days you were going to have to hear it from Florida fans, oh my gosh, what a pill that would have been to have to swallow. Um, but instead, Tennessee is the the source of joy. And you see how happy Josh Heupel was after the game. And and that that just meant so much to, to that program to finally be able to kind of get over the hump in one of these rivalry games. Um 
I, I think that you see some of the, the things throughout this game of what makes you feel encouraged if you want to believe in Anthony Richardson, right? Mm-hmm. The Florida offense looked, for the most part, solid. I mean, <laughs> I, I, th- I thought that when Anthony Richardson is going into halftime and he's already got a career high in passing yards, but, but Florida's losing, I thought that was a bad side for Florida. That's, that's what we were texting about. It's like, yep, 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 yep. It's like this that that's probably doesn't bode well for for the Gators to have had Anthony Richardson play, in my opinion, as well as he did. I thought Billy Napier, for the most part, his calls were were gutsy. He put faith in Anthony Richardson. That call that he had on fourth and two, where they're throwing a shorter and it's deep in their own territory it's like down 10. 40 yards downfield. Oh, like you saw that ball leave his hand. And the thing is, he throws such a pretty ball when he's like on and it leaves his hand like a trebuchet. And you're just like, this is about to be a, this about to be a first down. Yeah. And look, you know, Anthony Richardson, we, we criticized the lack of touch that he showed. He showed touch in that game. He mm-hmm. absolutely did. Finished with 453 passing yards. The moral victory for Florida. And I look, I, I get it. No moral victories. No moral <laughs> victories in a rivalry game. But there, if there was one, if you had told any Gator fan going into this game, Anthony Richardson is going to have over 500 yards of offense. And his lone interception is going to be a last-second potential game-winning Hail Mary. You would have taken that. You would have taken that. especially, 100%. And especially knowing that Tennessee shut down Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. They were bottled up for most of the day. And look, Tennessee was probably daring him to throw a little bit. They were. Their pass defense uh, left something to be desired. Uh, Will those issues on the back end, I think it's fair (laughs) to say that Tennessee has some room for improvement there, right? Yeah, no, I think um, this game was a very, like, exactly what you said, man. It was a very good game if you wanted the offense to to succeed. You saw what both of these offenses could be in like a perfect world yeah. because Anthony Richardson just has, he got that dog in him. He got that dog in him. Like they're making attempts. They're making like when his plays are good, they're so electric. And then you look on the other side, man, and it's Hinton hooker and he's doing the exact same thing. He's making stuff happen with his legs. But to your point, this is a bad day for DB. <laughs> real bad, real bad. If you were a DB, you're you're probably getting cooked. This is this is not going to be the day that you look back on and and say that's when we really show that we were worthy of all SEC first round draft pick status, something like that. And credit yep. the schemes. I mean, I think the schemes is a is a big part of that. And we can talk about Florida having the mental errors with the uncovered receivers and stuff. I think tempo does that. I think just playing at that speed and that that pace kind of puts you out of sorts. That's why you do something like that. Um, I, I still think though, that if you were coming away from this, hoping that above all else, if you're a Florida fan, you're like, all right, we're not, we're not competing for, for an East title this year. Look, I think that's, that's, that was fair to say still coming into the, coming into this, given what we mm-hmm. saw throughout the first three weeks, you, you wanted to see Anthony Richardson look like he did. You did. Uh, and mm-hmm. you're right. You're exactly right. When he is making plays within within the scheme and even not within the scheme, like when it breaks down his first touchdown pass where he escapes pressure and who is it? He got to, I think it was, it was Gamble or whoever. Yeah. Where he gets, or no, it was, was it? Yeah. When he, where he gets into the tight end out and he makes a couple guys miss in space and you see what this offense is capable of in those spots because as much as Anthony Richardson is flawed, mechanically speaking, he can still make that throw across the body that you are like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. And he still is able to kind of get away with it. 
because of just how unbelievably talented he is. And, and that was evident in this one. But Florida is still sitting there looking up 0-2 in SEC play. Uh, Will, we don't judge coaches strictly based on year one, but you did have the stat where it was, it was, uh, was it Tampa Bay Times who had the stat? Yes, um, Tampa Bay Times had the stat. I love Twitter because you can just ask for a stat and then the stat will just appear. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm usually the person that's throwing the stat out into the world. That's, that's right. usually what I like to be able to do. But yes, ooh, it's what? Uh, first time Florida has lost to Kentucky and Tennessee in the same year since the Dwight D. Eisenhower administration. Yes, 1955. Who could um, forget? So yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a minute, and it's this game is so interesting for both teams, right? Because for Florida, exactly like the positive signs were absolutely there. Like I think that your takeaway is right that it's like if you had told Florida fans that that's how that game would have ended, if that's how the game would have played out, that really a fumble was more or less the difference in that game. Huge uh, play. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like on the road at Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not I'm not Mr. Moral Victory guy. Like I know that Tennessee really put it on them in the second half and everything. But what this game said to me from Florida's perspective is like I'm I'm trying to get to say this and be and be nice. So Billy is such a foxhole guy. And I think that that's what you love if you're Florida in this situation. Florida has I'm trying to think about the way to say this in a politically correct way. Billy Napier has the moxie. He has that dog in him. And you saw that on the sidelines. And on the other sideline, you saw Josh Heupel start to kind of tense up in these big moments. And if you're Florida, and if you're a Florida fan, you're looking at that and you're like, dog, we're in year one. We have a quarterback who's never really been a starter. We have this roster that could have transferred out. Tennessee is the best they have been that really, truly, I can remember adult. Like, this is Tennessee's highest level of expectation we talked about Hannon hooker and what they did last year and building on them you know being second in the east is i feel like we both have right yeah yeah i i think i think that's that that's you're not necessarily going into these games saying we need to we need to win by 14 or else it's considered a failure and you want Mm -hmm. to see how they respond in these tough moments and when billy napier is on the sideline dare I say, having a little Dan Mullen moment. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I, I think Billy Napier is is usually calm, cool, collected. I understand mm-hmm. his source of frustration in that moment where the officials were all over the place, by the way. Some of those calls yeah. that they had on the goal line, could they just not see the goal line? Were, were they not aware <laughs> that it existed? Look, they, they wanted to figure everything out. They wanted to get all the looking together. <laughs> Anthony Richardson is a full, has his entire six foot five body, six foot four body, however tall yep. he is, in the end zone. And they're like, oh, I guess we're going to have to go to video replay and spend two minutes on this. That's why that game goes four hours. All right. It was a great (laughs) football game that the officials, oh, my gosh, how many times do you have to watch them totally mess something up that you're just saying you're phantom holding call, whatever. And look, I I know that it probably went Tennessee's way the majority of the time, but I just felt like such frustration watching this. I'm like, officials are so afraid to make a call in some of these goal line spots. And I get why it probably was building up for Billy Napier to get to that point. I don't know what he said to, to get the 15-yard penalty <laughs> I, in that spot. I could, I could do some colorful guesses. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to read some lips there. I didn't. Right. Maybe I just missed it and I missed an F-bomb or something like that, but I actually thought Billy Napier was like, hey, you, you, you're giving him this unlimited timeout, essentially, right. to, to review this play. Like, what, what exactly are we doing here? But, yeah, just kind of a weird sequence. But – you like the fact that Florida didn't quit when they're down 17 in this game. You right. like the fact that that Tennessee still didn't find a way to shoot itself in the foot to cost itself what would have been a monumental win. I right. came away more encouraged from both teams probably 
then I might have been going into this. I'll say that. 100%. Yeah, let me let me circle back around because you literally made the point I was about to make about Billy Napier. That it's like he has that dog in him. He is very bold and brash and he is just about it. But he almost needs to rein that in. Exactly your point. It's like, you know, he – I don't know. I still don't get him going for two. I, whatever. So he did that. He had, yeah. Yeah, he had like – it was like he was going for every fourth down, but like they at that point knew he was going for every fourth down. So it's like – on the plus side, if you're Florida, you've had coaches that didn't weren't the guy. They were not him, as the kids would say. It seems that Billy Napier is him, but it's like he's too him. It's like he needs to be less. He needs to to reel that in. So I wasn't saying that to slander Heupel, only slander Heupel, only credit Billy. I'm just saying that these coaches are fascinating because they're wildly different people. Heupel has a little bit of like Roger Federer is a good one, where he's very like cool. He's not very like up in your face the, the way that Billy is. What's up? The goat. Right. Yeah. I love Federer. Not saying that you have to be an angry, loud guy to get things done. But like point being, they're such a good contrast because they're both offensive guys. And hype was this vertical style, which is like very like moxie, very like in your face. And Billy is getting like four yards at a time, like doing all this different stuff, going for every fourth down. And you have a weapon like Richardson, like why would you not? But point being, I'm so fascinated to watch these two coaches grow together because this yeah. is only Heupel's second year at Tennessee. I mean, he was at UCF before, but they were whooping everybody when he was there. So like watching them kind of like it finally both of these schools are competitive again. And that's what we as SEC fans have wanted for a long time. Yeah, uh, this is this. I, I this was what I hope rivalry games are in the future. It's it's fun to watch these teams both feel like they they have an advantage, and these fan bases we know that they're like it's the old cliche. There's there's no love lost in it, and in a, in a very obvious way with with the way that things play out. And you see the scene at college game day, and you're just like, all right, this is this is fun. Even though these two teams have kind of fallen on some hard times as of late, this is still fun that we can get excited about a game like this in September. And who knows how we're going to look back on this game a month from now, as we know, these things can change. I don't think Florida is like a six and six team. I think they've shown more promise than that. And maybe week to week, they're going to be just a bit of a roller coaster. I do Wait, think hold that on, tennis- hold on, hold on. readjust. What do you, what do you think Florida's record is right now? Like before the bowl? I'm, I'm sticking with seven and five, seven and five, with the chance to get an eighth win in a bowl game. That was my preseason projection. Mm-hmm. I still think that's fair to say. Now, the good news for them, you get through kind of this this tough part of your, of your schedule. Mm-hmm. Metro Miller, by the way, having him back in that game, I should have mentioned that. He was a game-time decision. He was able to play in this one. His presence was absolutely felt. Florida needs him. I mean, we saw last year, Florida needs him. If they don't have him in the middle of their defense, it's just kind of a different story. They need those guys. They really do. So it, it's still, you know, an injury with this Florida team can be felt in a big, big way. And, and a Their lot of things is like three guys total. And one of them is that heckin' chalker. And it makes me so happy because he actually Desmond matters. Watson. He was shutting down the run dog. Dude, Desmond Watson. I remember writing about him when he was, when he was uh, like right after he had, I think he was, uh, he had just started at Florida and talking to his high school coach. And, and, and so like, of course he's talking about how, you know, he moves so well for his size and blah, blah, blah. And, and and they're talking about like the weight that he needs to get down to because that was the popular topic of conversation. He's I remember I think he I'm pretty wow, sure he said like shaming. Well, no, I mean that's like Florida coaches were kidding. talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And if you see him, look, even Pat McAfee's talking about him on college game day and talking about how amazing he is. You can't not see Desmond Watson when he steps onto the football field at that size. I mean, they don't even have a jersey that can fit him. He's so huge, but he's he's a run stuffer. Like he that's that is what he does, and he's fun to watch. And they kind of take him out in the passing. In the passing situations, I was looking up the the snap count on PFF with him just to kind of see like, all right, how does it compare to 
what Georgia was doing last year with Georgia with Jordan Davis and and, and mm-hmm. seeing those guys that we 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 always talk about their size. But I remember his high school coach saying something like, "Yeah, I think he only needs to get down to like 400 pounds." And I'm like, I "What?" That. That's my favorite quote ever. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was like, "All right, I I actually kind of get that." And he's mm-hmm. he's proven to be a weapon. But Tennessee's a good team. Tennessee's a good team. Tennessee has New Year's Six Bowl upside. I think yesterday, I think the way that you get through September, winning against two ranked teams, I think that is evidence of that. Okay. Other SEC game involving two ranked teams, Arkansas AM. AM wins a roller coaster. Oh my gosh. What what a, a thriller this turned out to be. The doink off the top upright. Never <laughs> Connor, seen I was so happy I could finally be like, and as a Bears fan, you relate to this struggle. <laughs> there is that moment when that football is suspended in time, and Arkansas fans know this this all too well after watching the way that that kick played out with Cam Little. That that moment is 20 minutes when you don't know if it's <laughs> going time. in off of the doink. It's it's forever. And, and look, I, I I think that we're having a we're probably having a different conversation if that just drifts a yard to the left. And we're having a different conversation about Arkansas. We're having a different conversation about AM, but that's not the way it played out. AM comes back and gets a what I thought was a gritty win. All things considered, to score 23 unanswered against a top 10 Arkansas team with all the questions that we had about, about the Aggies coming into this one. Um, Arkansas wasted a golden opportunity and AM seized it. And that's not just in reference to the KJ Jefferson fumble, but let's let's talk about that. Because that was key point of the game, of course. If you missed it, if you haven't seen this, this pivotal play, Arkansas is up 14 to 7, second quarter. Hogs are knocking on the door inside the five. KJ decides to be Superman. He has shown in the past he can be Superman. Go back to the Ole Miss game. Go listen to the Just Met More podcast that we did. KJ is capable of looking like Superman. He definitely took off too early, and he was never going to make it in, even if he had been able to hold on to the football. So that's that much we know. Chris Russell pokes the ball loose. Tyreek Chappelle recovers. And then it looks like he's about to get tackled by Rocket Sanders. But instead of going down, Damani Richardson comes in, basically just grabs the ball. And I, I don't know how much he he gave it he gave it away. I saw Damani Richardson tell Texags afterwards, like, I, I was just going to take the football no matter what. <laughs> I was going to wait for him to be able to give me the ball. And he runs the other way for an AM touchdown. <clears throat> wild, wild sequence. It's essentially a 13-point swing on one play. It's Love like the, that. <laughs> it, it's it's the equivalent of think, I mean, of thinking you're throwing a goal line fade and your guy has perfect position, you're about to score a touchdown, and then the guy picks six the other way. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Arkansas went from potentially being up 21 to seven to being up 14 to three AM bad snap on the extra point and they missed it. I I thought I thought that sort of rattled KJ's confidence for a bit, at least as a runner, at least as a runner. He did not really find his groove again until the fourth quarter. And, you know, still learning how to deal with failure. I I think we saw in the middle of that game when it looked like Arkansas was shell-shocked for for a while. And Mind you, that was after Arkansas came into that game and they just did whatever they wanted on both sides of the ball. I mean, they were they came out and they were ready to go. I even had this tweet. So yesterday, um, got into it a tiny bit on Twitter with David Pollock mm-hmm. because David Pollock said on college game day that he wasn't sold on KJ as a passer. He's a KJ disrespecter is what he is. So we talked throughout the offseason about mm-hmm. – 
we have skepticism about the Arkansas passing game in a post-Traylon Burks world. Right. To me, that is different than saying, I don't have confidence in KJ Jefferson throwing the football. Right. Mm-hmm. I think there is a difference there because if you are saying, and he didn't have the ca- the caveat of what it looks like against a good defense without Traylon Burks. Right. Like, so he just says that on college <laughs> right. game day. Yeah. And, and Arkansas fans everywhere I know because I, I had him in my, in my mentions as well because I tweeted this out. Like I tweeted out like what KJ Jefferson has done as a passer since he took over that starting job. And I'm like, look, I think the sample size is, is, is still pretty big. And David Pollock, after probably getting all his mentions flooded, who doesn't really <laughs> quote tweet a whole lot on a Saturday – uh, yeah, he's like tweeted. the most peaceful football personality too. Like every time you see him, he's just smiling really big, like having a great day with the boys. Yeah, <laughs> this was a new world to him. Yeah, look, and, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm not here to to really get into it. I just thought it was a poorly worded thing to say about somebody who I was saying was one of the ten best quarterbacks in college football coming into this year. And yeah. I thought if he was going to add more context, he should have instead of just saying KJ Jefferson. I still don't trust him as a, as a passer. So. Uh, I, I I definitely when he throws when KJ throws that bomb to uh, oh yeah so so Pollock quote tweets my tweet and says like something to the effect of like can we w- wait until after the AM game I want to see what it looks like against a quality defense that uh, Traylon Burks so like I, I responded well, to that his whatever passing did not cost them the game <laughs> yeah I mean go figure as a passer he had a great day actually I as definitely. A yeah, as a runner, he's had better, and he had, right. he's still had over hundred. He still had a great runner. day as a runner. I'm just yeah. saying that, like, he, you can't trust him to throw the ball, buddy. I would argue that in this case, throwing the ball is the best thing he did today. I definitely waited until the long pass to Xavier Thompson, that bomb that he threw to make it fourteen and nothing, to quote tweet Pollock and say, "I think he looks all right." Oh, that's the best. You have me. the draft of the tweet pulled up, and you're waiting for the one play to make it make the most sense, and you're like, "Boom!" Yeah. <laughs> I might have jinxed KJ with that, though, with the way yeah. that things played out after that, because it was it was tough for for them offensively, kind of after they got rolling. There was a an underrated sequence. I'm curious if anybody else picked up on this because it felt like a really pivotal moment for A and M to be able to get back into the game. That wasn't that fumble. So Arkansas is up 14 to nothing early in the second quarter. The drive started on their own 15. Arkansas has the football. They picked up a first down with Dominic Johnson, who was back looking healthy coming off the knee injury. He was essentially like a healthy scratch last week with Rocket Sanders playing the way that he was. Rocket Sanders ends up kind of getting banged up in this one, which we'll maybe have to dissect that a little bit more midweek. But they're on the AM 38-yard line. So you're knocking on the door thinking to yourself, we're going to go up three scores. Kendall Bryles got cute. He schemed two consecutive horizontal plays to Malik Hornsby that went absolutely nowhere. I think they went for a total of minus one yards. Tough, (laughs) because you want to get him involved. Remember, this is the guy that they call Tyreek Hill with that speed. And once you Mm -hmm. see him going on the end round, but A&M had it snuffed out. Credit DJ Durkin for the scouting report to be able to have that one contained. A&M seemed relieved that Arkansas stopped running right at their face. And it was a reminder of why these little decisions throughout the course of a game can loom so large. Because if you're just thinking to yourself, ah, you can get horns, be like, you know, five touches in a game, no big deal. Those touches actually, in my opinion, totally flipped what Arkansas was trying to do. So Arkansas didn't even get in field goal range and it punts the ball back to AM, who then on the first play of the next drive gets that 63 yard run from A chain. And that totally Dude, that turned guy. around the game. The funny thing about them being good and them being bad is that he has played exactly the same the entire time. He's 
unstoppable. I love A-Chain. <laughs> Every time he gets the ball, it's like, oh, they're averaging three yards a carry. Boom, here goes a 20-yard run. That's the best that's available. Like, every every week, it's like, I'm, I'm excited about him in, like, the next phase of life as well. Yeah, and for those who have had skepticism about his size, you're like, ah, he's just a track guy. No, no, no. Give that guy 20 touches a game. Give him 20 touches a game and let him get rolling because the yards after contact is so good. He had like 120 rushing yards before first contact in this game. And he career high in rushing. He was phenomenal. He was so, so good. Ask an Arkansas fan what it was like to watch him whenever he got the ball in space because, man, he is just he's a nightmare to bring down with that speed. And once he gets going downhill, buddy, you better have somebody on the back end who can get the angle on him because if you don't, forget about it. He is that good. Actually, playing in this offense is perfect for him because you're right. The questions are like, he's a track guy. Can he handle contact? It's like, buddy, you're running against an eight-man box every play. Yeah, you are. Look, you, you are. You are. When, when their offense was struggling when Haynes King was in there, it was like, this is the guy that's going to save them and every defense knew it. And now it's like all those questions are gone because he had to be like Fournette out there for like this year and a little bit last year whenever – because they had the same thing happen last year. He was awesome even when he wasn't the starter. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, awesome even though he was you know essentially splitting carries with Isaiah Spiller. And this was uh, a game in which, uh, look, Jimbo talked about how he was excited that they got to play consecutive top 15 teams coming off of the App State loss. And he said, you know, we were really going to find out who we were. And you can kind of laugh at that and be like, all right, Jimbo, you, your team is telling us who they are when they can't come back against App State and you're paying $1.5 million for that. Right. And I'm scored 23 consecutive points against top 10 team. That is not easy. And I have made my jokes. We have made our jokes at the expense of AM. You, me, everybody else in college football outside of College Station. All right. We have the last two weeks, we have piled on. But I thought what they did to be able to respond when it looked like things weren't going their way was darn impressive. Max Johnson's awareness, it can be frustrating. It definitely can. Will is an LSU <laughs> fan. You know this to be true. But his mm-hmm. toughness. That is why it is so important to have an SEC veteran back in there. If they have Haynes King as their starter, they don't win that football game. They don't come back in oh, that yeah. football game. There's Dude, no doubt. That was my the most apex Max Johnson game. And it's so funny because, like I said, plays the same in wins and losses. And it's like you look at like the numbers of this game and you're like, gosh, he didn't really have a big game. But like every time you watched him with the football, it was like, oh, they need like it's third and 13. He's going to find a way to like make three dudes miss and get a hard first down. And they're going to score on that drive. And it's like he it's so weird because I've watched Max Johnson so many times and very few times. I was like, wow, statistically and mechanically, he's killing it. But you look up at the end of the game, just like this game. And you're like, sure enough, won that game. (laughs) Yeah, but like you see the presence that he has and he understands moments like when Arkansas is sending these all-out blitzes, which Barry Odom was like, I'm going to bring the heat. I'm going to force him into these early decisions. And then he floats the ball like he did to Evan Stewart, knowing that he's just about to get demolished on that play. That's that's having the presence to know, okay, I'm going to have one-on-one on on the outside. I'm going to trust that my guy, my 5'10", 5'11", true true freshman, five-star guy is going to be able to make the better adjustment on the football. And then sure enough, that's what he does. And those are the plays in the game where those are the, the little, little tiny things that add up over the course of the game. AM did not panic. And I, I just I, I think that this team, while it is still flawed, and I think that they still have their issues, and I'll still, you know, push back on the notion that they're all of a sudden going to be really good um in the passing game. We'll wait and see the status as of this recording. We don't know the status of Anaya Smith. Nasty mm-hmm. play where he kind of got his leg rolled up on, pretty emotional with his dad in the tunnel. That usually isn't a good sign. Hopefully he is well and right. But I'll say this. AM is getting better defensively with that young defense. And Max Johnson is at least going to give you a chance. 
They're, he's mm-hmm. going to give you a chance, and this could be an eight and four team. It, it absolutely could, and it could be maddening from week to week. But all that mattered on Saturday was that you found a way to kick off SEC play with a win and a game that I didn't give much of a chance two weeks ago. I said that they were going to lose it going in. Huge opportunity seized for AM. And on the flip side, a massive, massive opportunity loss for Arkansas. And you could see it all over Sam Pittman's face. They knew it. College game day, not going to Fayetteville. Yeah. They're going, they're instead going to go see Clemson, NC State. And that's a tough pill to swallow because what that would have meant for that program to have college game day in the house for the first time in 16 years talked about what it meant for Tennessee to have it there for the first time in six years hosting Bama top 10 matchup man that would have been huge it's still going to be a great atmosphere there but I thought if they had won that game game day would have been a lock to go to Fayetteville Mm -hmm. there is no doubt in my mind Um, but instead this, this ends up being a, a missed opportunity, and it's kind of more of the same for Arkansas against AM after they got over the hump last year, but they know frustration against the Aggies. Biggest takeaway from this one, the West is going to put our brains in a pretzel from week to week. It just is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're going to feel really dumb talking about the West this year because the, forget just like last year. In the West, you're LSU Tiger. <laughs> yeah, very true. People very forget. True. I don't know that a whole lot of people will be uh, will be bragging about that on this uh, this Sunday morning. But Listen, when the season starts off that way, <laughs> I'll brag about it. <laughs> Look, if Florida State, Florida State looks good, man. Florida State's four and zero. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's go. To- hey, listen, getting a win in the state of Florida was not easy on this day, but Florida State found the way to do it. Man, anyway. it wasn't. It wasn't. Let's go to Mizzou and Auburn. Um, hold on, I just want to say really quick two things about that last game. Um, first off, it's funny because we joked about Mac Johnson just kind of being like an add-on to his brother, and I I was hand up 100 wrong, and I think that seeing this team. Like we've talked about, they get stale offensively and they need someone who just has like has the dog in him. Has the I, I can't say the first four words I want to say. I'm so sorry, but has the moxie, Connor. And and that's what Max Johnson has. What he makes me think of is a more a slightly more mobile, but like obviously worse passer, Eli Manning. Because it's like there's no thoughts. It's like he's out there, he's catching the snap, and he's like, Oh, it's third and fifteen. Guess we're Chad, gonna get you mean yards. Chad Powers. Of Chad course. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah, Chad Powers. Exactly. Yes. Fast so Chad. like so point god i love him anyway point being um yeah so oh what i was gonna say is the crazy thing about that all three of these games swung on fumbles that's just a prelude to the next one Mm. if you really think about it tennessee florida obviously had the fumble by florida as they were driving down the field arkansas driving down the field fumbles and that gets returned 13 point swing as you said and then boom prelude to this game Fumble. <laughs> yeah, fumbles, fumbles, and missed kicks were kind of the the story for for these these three games. Mm-hmm. Mizzou and Auburn. Oh my goodness. Um, Will, if, the, if you could call that a game, it was it was a fiasco. <laughs> it was it was the type of game where I think if we together had collectively walked onto the field at Jordan Hare, which by the way, it's Jordan Hare. If you heard the announcer. Continue. Jordan, all right. Jordan, not Jordan Hare. All right. No, no, right. the pronunciation of the venue that you're calling a football game in. That's just a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had walked onto the field and said, we would like to win this football game, I think both teams would have said, Here you go, Will. Here you go, Connor. Here is this football game. You get to win it. <laughs> Wouldn't have had any credentials to Be win a it. Third party. <laughs> the third party. We're we're like the you know, the, the lawyer in a divorce, you know, in a divorce case. What we just Come on to the scene. Uh, I will gladly take this, hand this over to me. I will take this football game. If you miss this one, I'm going to try to explain it to you, but I don't think I can. I 
<laughs> I really we, don't. Like, we love good, bad, like a bad SEC game that is awesome. Like I was texting you about the 3-2 Mississippi State-Auburn game. Like it's been a minute for me since I really had this level of bad SEC game. It was exquisite. This was turning on a, a bad movie on a Sunday morning and knowing that you're watching a really bad movie. Yes. And realizing I, this is an hour and a half, two hours of my life that I'm not going to get back on this was much longer than that. But this was so bad, it was good. Um, Mizzou took three knees at the end of this game, 14-14 mm. game, zero points scored in the second half. They took three knees from the three-yard line. Instead of trying to score a touchdown, 26-yard kick to win it, all-American kicker, friend of the show, Harrison Mevis, the thicker, the thicker kicker, kicker, and he left it <laughs> wide right. And he left it wide right. And he didn't even practice beforehand. That I was so fired up for Talking him. about he that. You know, what? Like, you know what? Get out of here. Get out of here. No, no, no. If you have a routine, if you have a routine, <laughs> even if it's a non-routine, stick Good. with it. And if that's if that's that's his thing, that's that's how he's able to kind of get in the right headspace, then by all means, no issue with that whatsoever. If that were the only thing to to tell you how this game went, it still would have been wild. Mm-hmm. But there was so much more. It looks like Robbie Ashford threw a pick in overtime. It's overruled. Oh Auburn makes a field goal. They go up 17 to 14. So Mizzou needs a touchdown to be able to win. It looks like Mizzou running back Nathaniel Pete, the Stanford transfer, is about to walk in for the game-winning touchdown. And he's tiptoeing the sideline. But while he's trying to transfer the ball for the goal line, he fumbles into the end zone. Goes One from- of the worst rules in football to this day. Agreed. And I have uh, <laughs> I have people that, that used to push back on that. And I remember asking Jimbo Fisher about that in 2018, about the fumbling into the end zone thing. And because and, Auburn recovered, re- ends up recovering the football yeah, 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 yeah. in this game. But yeah, like the ball when it goes through the end zone or something like that. And I asked Jimbo Fisher about it. And it was like the first time he had ever heard anybody push back on that. I'm like, there's surely there's no way that you've ever right. heard that. But in this situation, you're Auburn's right. No, they did recover. Recovered. You're right. I yeah. just, it looked like one of those because it yes. just crossed over the goal line as it like spun side. That was ridiculous. Yeah. R- absolutely ridiculous. And you go from thinking you're about to win to realizing, you have just lost in one of the most embarrassing ways that a team can lose. And I tweeted this out as this was happening. We're going to look back eight years from now debating Harson's job security. Like he's still going to be at Auburn and we'll remember, <laughs> oh yeah, if an All-American kicker had just made a 26-yard field goal from right down the center, we would have ended this discussion back in 2022. But 2030, when we're talking about this, we'll still be just like Brian Harson still somehow has a job. Probably it'll not. be like Brian Harson Stetson Bennett graphics. Yes. <laughs> Seven and oh against Brian Harson. Stetson he still Bennett. has a job. Stetson Bennett is 32 years old and he's out here slinging it. Gosh, that made me feel really bad as a 32 year old to say that. <laughs> I was going to say, wow, self quote. Anyway. Gosh. Uh, only Auburn could win a game like that. Only Mizzou could lose a game like that. Yes. That's what it felt like. Yes. We might have to petition the SEC and both teams, see if both teams can just get a loss. It was that bad. It was so, so bad. And I say that knowing that these defenses, especially Derek Hall, they deserve credit for pitching a second half shutout, and and they did show up. I'll give them credit for that. But hearing Harson say afterwards that his team did the things that they needed to do in order to win that game, it made me want to hurl. It did. (laughs) Which things were those, actually? (laughs) Yeah. Like, What did you do? This dude literally fumbled without being touched. Did you? As you, he was waltzing into the inside, I'm not even being mean, but like, what about that play did you execute well? 
Did you yell while Mevis was kicking a field goal, like when you're playing pickup basketball, and a guy yells at the jump shooter? Like he like put happen? his arms up in the air, trying to rev the crowd up. He was like, "That was me. Don't that worry. was us. That was our unbelievable atmosphere. Our kids are they really stood <laughs> tall in that spot. We're building something here. It's really yeah. special. We we got three consecutive defensive stops. It's like no, Brian. They they kneeled. They they kneeled for you. So <laughs> wait, really quick though, I will say the best one of the best parts of this game is like hate to hate to credit that, but. For, I texted you like Auburn's what was it their first, it was the first scoring drive was fourteen plays fourteen runs yeah. with Robbie Ashford or take Bigsby or like that was when their offense was actually working now for what pretty much an entire quarter they didn't have Robbie Ashford <laughs> yeah I mean and yeah he gets hurt in this game and he was able to come back in but he gets hurt blocking out a play on a on an end around on the outside where. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, wow. So Holen Gurner, the, their true freshman quarterback, they're going to be down to their fourth string guy. And it's yes. still September for this. Yes. Team. And that's mind you, TJ Finley was hurt. And we were like, oh, maybe Ashford can do something. And then we were joking about Calzada. Calzada got hurt. So Ashford, so Ashford was second. Calzada was third. Finley was first. And then this dude, whose name I didn't know, maybe you did. You're a little I bit did. more dialed into me. I had never heard of this cat because I knew three Auburn quarterbacks. <laughs> I didn't think I would need a fourth. But this boy's in there and I was like, Oh, they're they're cooked. Like they can't because I mean, who could blame a team for losing with their fourth string quarterback? And yet they found a way to win. <laughs> they found a way to win. They found a way to win. I didn't expect Harson to come out in the postgame presser and say, Yeah, I'm probably getting Herm Edwards if Mizzou doesn't projectile vomit all over itself. I, I don't <laughs> It's Connor. Well, you're on a different level right now. Goodness gracious, man. Uh, Did any Auburn fan feel good after that? I no, like there's there's no way that if you were an Auburn fan, you could have actually felt good. And I get that you shouldn't take wins for granted in this league, even when it's against Mizzou, who's just trying to win its first non-Vandy road game since 2020 against South Carolina. But how could you feel good? (laughs) I'm sorry, if you don't want me to laugh, you can't keep saying stuff like that. All right, fair. That's Rob- a tough seed, yeah. Yeah, it's not like we all of a sudden saw Robbie Ashford look like he's going to be a star. He's a player that can occasionally make some nice plays for you, but you can tell he is going to make some maddening mistakes, and he really beats himself up after those mistakes. You're it's still so hard to watch, bro, because you know he's doing his best, and it's just, yeah. He's pressing. He he pre- he definitely presses it in some of those key moments. Like, But it, it's the little things. When you're scrambling behind the line of scrimmage and there's nothing, you've got to throw the football away. You can't just take a four-yard loss just because you forgot that you have to throw the football away. But he's Auburn's only option. He is. Like yep. him, Tank, and Hunter. Like that, that is that's their offense. Even against Mizzou, it was extremely difficult to run the ball after that first drive, and they couldn't really get anything going. 10 first quarter carries for Tank, like you said. And then afterwards, you're just kind of like, oh man, he's just running into a brick wall every single time. Auburn is flawed. They're in deep trouble against the SEC West, right? Like, here's yeah. what's bizarre to me. Harson talked about it. they did the little things to win. In their last seven games against Power Five competition, Auburn has 21 second half points. That's bad. They've been outscored 97 to 21 in the second half in their last seven games against Power Five competition. Sorry, actually, that, I saw that graphic, like, and it's gotten worse since then. I saw the initial graphic on the screen. I was like, surely that can't be. And it's gotten no. worse anyway. <laughs> no, that's that's real. And that that he, I even included the old Miss game that Auburn yep. won. Because I think it was like three to three or something like that. Um, They just struggle in the second half against power five competition. Like they just will. And I don't have any faith in Brian Harson to make those second half adjustments. His team won a game that 
quite frankly, nobody deserved to win. And he mm-hmm. was able to to maybe delay the inevitable. It, it felt like he was delaying the inevitable. Any Anything else you want to hit on with Auburn before I, I, I make some quick points about Mizzou here? Um, not about Auburn. Yeah, I'm more interested by Mizzou at this point because I, I hate to be that guy, but it's like, we know what Auburn is, bro. Come on. Yeah. Maybe it's, okay. They're here. Yeah, they're going. Okay, so Eli Drinkwood's approval rating with this fan base it's taken a huge hit in September. Mm-hmm. It absolutely has. That game was sitting there for him. And I know you can't necessarily blame him for the Pete fumble on the goal line. Obviously, you trust Mebus to make that kick. He said he would do that every single time. We play the results on that one. If they had fumbled on the goal line, we would have ripped him and said, you have an All-American kicker. What are you doing? Leaving that up to chance. But that's that's just the way that it plays out. If you're a head coach making $4 million bucks, that's that, that, that's what you those that's the responsibility that you take on, of course. Um I felt bad that Brady Cook was celebrating the missed kick, by the way, too, when he thought it was in, and then he realized mm-hmm. it wasn't. Oh, it was really tough. I know RG3 brought it up roughly 27 times in the broadcast, but it's a tough look when Luther Burden does not get a touch from scrimmage, and I know that they tried. I know that they tried. The play early where Nehemiah Pritchett just bottled him up in, in this uh, that slant round of man coverage, mm-hmm. balls tipped, falls in the hands of Derek Hall, that that was that that's why having a true freshman out there is like lining up on the outside, trying to get separation against a veteran corner like Pritchett is a tough ask. And it's not a given that you're automatically going to be able to get him those touches in space the way that you would like. You can still get him the pop passes, you can still run the reverses, all that other stuff, but they were not able to dial up those looks for him. That's the second time, though, I thought that a cook interception was on burden because even though he's a five-star guy, he's still figuring out how to get separation and be consistent at the college level glass half full guy says hey at least the defense isn't a total liability they were last year but i will not mince words that sucked for mizzou fans which is really saying something and i'm going to confess something mm-hmm. i looked up drink spy out i oh, did no. i big. it's 12 million bucks that he's still owed after this year and i don't think mizzou will pay that i don't but i just wanted to make sure that i knew that number because if this thing goes to four and eight and they just get waxed in sec play oh boy that the noise is only going to get louder it's going to get louder and louder and the offensive frustration is a tough look for a coach that's calling the place it just is it just i think we've been higher on drink than a lot of people and you're right it's it's disappointing and like to your point it's like now, the thing that's very tough is you see all these other offenses with offensive guys that are able to get the ball to their playmakers. We were just talking about Brew McCoy and how Hypo has gotten him involved in play to his strengths. And you have Luther Burden, who's like, again, young guy, not even that big of a guy. I think he's like six feet. He's he's not like some hulking guy, but no, still, like, he's easily their best player on offense. <laughs> and it's like, Drake just can't get him the ball in effective ways. And to your point, it's like, it's not just swing passes or slants. It's like, you see how guys have gotten, I mean, um, Bryles does a great job of it at Arkansas, just getting guys open in the second and third levels. And Burden has the speed and he has the ability to do that. But it's like he's having to play like NFL offense and it's just not working. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be an ongoing topic of conversation. Again, I thought it was a little bit a little bit overdone on the broadcast. You're asking me when I mean, I don't know how many times they brought it up, but it, mm-hmm. it felt like at least half a dozen times they're talking about the lack of touches for him. Um, but you say he had zero scrimmage touches, right? 
Yeah, I mean, zero scrimmage touches is what is. <laughs> a lack of touches, I would argue. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, he's still being targeted, at least in, in, in the passing game, and it's not like it's a, it's they're, they're just like leaving him off the field or something like that. And again, when you have that early play where it results in an interception, it's kind of like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's I, I, I get it from, from a little bit, but obviously they need to be able to prioritize that more. Okay, um, not a ton that I want to dig into with this one, but Vandy against Bama, I've got an unpopular take. It's really, it's fun to watch Bryce Young have fun. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, when he's not fighting for his life and doing whatever he can to keep a play alive in some like 21 to 17 game that Alabama was favored by 21, which has kind of been uh, a theme throughout this team since the start of last year, he yeah. makes it look like he's having a lot more fun than last year. He really is. And that's a pretty obvious observation. Good to see Ja'Cory Brooks, Jermaine Burton step up. We talked about how this was going to be a really nice spot for them against a pretty favorable Vandy secondary. Good to see them able to get going. Young Bryce Young was targeting Ja'Cory Brooks like all game. All game, it felt like. Um, take it with a grain of salt. Again, Vandy, the pass defense is, is real, real bad. A couple quick things. It should be a rule that Will Anderson has to play with one hand behind his back against a true freshman quarterback. <laughs> that wasn't fair. Yeah. That was cheating. Um, he, he had no chance. It just won. Uh, the hype train has come down a little bit, apparently. Um, no, not so much, but still he was very much in over his head. Nick Kelly had the quote from Saban afterwards on Will Anderson. He said, I'll talk about him as long as you want to talk about him. I will too. Mm -hmm. I will too. Today won't be the place for that, but we'll do that another time. Also, Jace McClellan becoming a thing in this backfield. He had eight touches before Jameer Gibbs got his first touch of the day. Interesting move. And I'm not sure if that's because Gibbs has been a little bit of a liability in pass protection. Maybe they wanted to get those receivers going instead of just having the dump offs there to Gibbs. Not sure. Maybe you're preserving him, knowing that he's got a really physical game probably coming up against Arkansas. You need him to be able to kind of get right. I think Alabama would love to have Gibbs and McClellan be a big part of the the game plan against Arkansas, be able to utilize both of them, kind of bring them in and out. They need that home run playability. McClellan's got some of that. Excited to see this Alabama defensive line against that Arkansas offensive line. Great matchup. Mm -hmm. Great, great matchup. Uh, Didn't have any other takeaways from this one. You? No. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like we were talking about with Andy. It's like it's good that they didn't get too much of ahead of Steve and start super duper believing himself. It's nice to have a measuring stick game like this. And to your point, AJ Swan, it's always nice to like root for like the young quarterback and be like, okay, like why is why does the coach want to start the old guy? Like when you play against teams like this, you're right. It's, it's he's just young and there's nothing else to it. They just he think he's going to be a great player or a yeah. good player. Not I don't know about a great player, but he like that like this is what youth. This is why coaches don't start young guys. Anyway, yeah, took four sacks I think in in this one. Felt like it was it was even more than that. The Alabama defensive line was pretty much all over him all night. One thing I liked. Kent State and Georgia. The one thing I liked, uh, we can chill on the here's why Georgia is way better than last year's uh, team takes. Mm-hmm. We, we can chill on that at least for a week. At least. You know, we, we can kind of look at this one and say, oh, hey, they were a 45-point favorite and they won by 17. And it was a game in which Stetson Bennett like was was out there like pretty much the whole time. And um, we saw some greatness from Brock Bowers. What else is new? Dude was the leading rusher and he had two carries. He's insane. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the end around to him were 75 yards down the sideline, just boom. He makes it look so unbelievably easy. Mm-hmm. Um, frustrating day. Lad McConkey had the most frustrating day. His first half was like me when I play golf after not playing for six months, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've talked about the yips, a little bit of football yips somehow. Yeah. A little bit. It starts to get in your head. Just nothing goes right. 
I, like, I, you know, when I'm out there and I go through a dozen balls on the, on the, the front nine, I spend my entire day in the woods. My only drive in the fairway is some worm burner that goes a hundred yards. And you're just <laughs> thinking to yourself, this is just not my day. This is, this is really bad. That was lad in the first half. He had the muff punt, which Kirby gave him a tongue lashing when he was over on the sideline, uh, kind of cleared it up afterwards, you know, some right. tough love. We, we know that's the case with, with Kirby dropped two likely touchdowns. And then he fumbled after he was trying to make a play in space coming off the bubble screen. Lad McConkey is indeed human. He is human. I, yeah. We have had some moments in which we've said, Lad McConkey, is he also not a human being like Brock Bowers? Maybe. Yeah, he's in some really clutch plays for sure. Yes. But, um, you know, this this was not necessarily a day that will get the Lad McConkey Heisman campaign <laughs> rolling along. Um, it did. This Georgia defense also, worst, worst game in season, not even close, especially for those first teamers. They finally allowed a touchdown. Took 198 minutes and 30 seconds into the season mm-hmm. for that to happen. But in the grand scheme of things, yes, it was a day in which they just could not really put their foot on the gas. It looked like a team that was, and that's kind of weird that in those two games, you know, Samford as well, where they just did not really look crisp. They get up for the Power Five games, and then in these games, it's kind of like they they take their foot off the gas a little bit too early. Mm-hmm. Um, in the grand scheme of thing, grand scheme of things, though, this gives Kirby a chance to actually get a really nice week of practice ahead of Mizzou. Offense has to be able to clean up the turnovers. They had three turnovers in the first half of this one. I think they're a better team with AD Mitchell back too. I think they need him kind of right. He's a little bit of a glue guy for this offense. I would still put Georgia as my number one team in the country. I don't think that necessarily changes. And again, we talked about it earlier. When you're paying $1.5 million for some of these games, just get out of there with a win. Just, just get out of there with a win. Move on to the next one. That's all you can do. Um, I just want to say real quick, this is a great game. We've talked about it all year that kind of showcases the difference between Georgia's wide receivers and their tight ends. Uh, they have one of the best tight end rooms in football history. Uh, now, that is without Eric Gilbert right now, so that's still pending. But like you talked about, um, Brock Bowers had an amazing day. <laughs> had a rush because he can just he's a freak. He's a superhuman. And then Darnell Washington like played pretty decent for his role too. And so, but then you look at like Lad. You, you don't want to uh, pile on the kid, obviously, but it's like you know they obviously lost Burton and Pickens last year, and the receiver room is just not going to lot right now. And so they they have enough tight ends to where honestly might not matter. Like those tight ends are ridiculous. But yeah, it's like. It's hard to really like, I hate to say it that way, but it's like, you know, the turnovers and that's through a pick as well. It wasn't just lad, but this is how a game like that gets away from you. And, and like, like you said, Kent, <laughs> the the hype train part of it, that like Kent, Kent has scored like the most points other than like Alabama in the last like, couple of years for Georgia. Like they haven't, they hadn't been saying like that doesn't happen to Georgia, but the reason is the turnovers, dude. I don't really think it matters. Like they were just out there having too much fun, <laughs> you know? Kent, Kent State was paid. What was it? What's the number five? It was like five point two million for these total these total non conference <laughs> yeah. games that they've, they've had. They've had with the funny number. I love it. You like, said, just, oh yeah, for the whole agreement, that's a bag. Good for Kent. They you know they had a great day too. So they're like, we're just out here trying to fund our entire athletic budget. All right, well, <laughs> we well. have some line items. We really got to get yeah. to after this game. We score some points. That is gravy, man. That is all. Yeah. That is all we'll take. Uh, but Georgia is, is able to get out of that one with a three score victory, albeit a victory in which they're going to have a lot of things to be able to look at on the film room bowling green against mississippi state not a ton of takeaways from this one the one thing i like caleb ducking continues to waddle his touchdown celebration yeah it's fun get used Love to it that. he definitely stole it from jalen waddle but right when your last name is ducking you get to do it <laughs> you're that's your jurisdiction that's totally i got no problem with that if you're if you did not have a last name 
that that made any sense and you were just doing that for fun, I'd be like, ah, you, you, you kind of got to get your own. Just just do what everybody else does and just gritty. All right. Just just do right. that instead. But no, he gets to do the duck, the, the waddle celebration. He and Rodgers are developing a really, really nice connection. Five receiving touchdowns, 21 catches through the first four games. He had more production today than he had all of last year. And you know why else I like Caleb Ducking? Why is that, Connor? Joe Moore had recruited him. Of course. We of love course our Joe Moore players. 6'5", yes. Juco kid. Uh, he, he is kind of satisfying that Malik Polk presence that they were missing in that offense. Rodgers ended up with six touchdown passes in this one. He had two touchdown passes and 106 passing yards in the first three and a half minutes. It was unbelievable. It looks so that offense works. It works. Yes, it very much works. And you see that that I mean, he is like when he is so comfortable in the pocket, how flat footed he is, you would think it's a walkthrough with with the way that he looks in, against some of these group of five teams. Now, obviously, when you've got BJ Ojalari rushing off the edge, it's a little bit of a different story. But in a cool. game like this, where he's like, I'm not getting touched in this one. I'm I'm gonna be good. This is yeah. this is no big deal. And it shows nice bounce back from Mississippi State, who now gets a huge home game against AM. I feel like I'm gonna say that with so many SEC West games that they're monumental because even if they involve Auburn, I suppose we're talking about big, big implications for Brian Harson's future. So we've gone we've gone from it. the Vandy over under to the Brian Harson job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Immediately. Good. That, yes. That's the new thing. Uh speaking of SEC West, Tulsa Ole Miss. One thing I liked, Ole Miss is done with these cupcakes, even though Tulsa did not look like a cupcake in the second Listen, half of the game. We are Tulsa respecters. We have been we singing their praises for years, and this is exact. They came into this game as the NCAA's leading passing team. Yep. <laughs> Hurricane respecters, which is an important thing for me to say ahead of this week given what's about to hit in my neck of the woods here uh, in Florida. But um, yeah, these, these non-conference games are now over and we get to actually find out who this team is. I say that even though I realize this was a one possession game and Tulsa made it interesting, you know, the, it didn't even matter that they had a backup quarterback in there. They, they were still able to, to be able to sustain some drives in the second half and just would not go away. Pitched a second half shutout against an old Miss offense that, has one dimension for sure. And you know that ground game is really, really good. But Ole Miss, it is so unpredictable from quarter to quarter. It is all over the place on both sides of the ball too. And I don't want to say that I was totally doubting Ole Miss having the number three scoring defense in the country. But yeah, I was doubting that it was that good because the competition has not been that good. Right. I, I want to see that defense against a power five offense with a clue. Georgia Tech doesn't have a clue. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's a very good caveat because Georgia Tech just got whooped by UCF. <laughs> yeah, let's let's see what it looks like when they can actually go against a, a Power 5 team that we think will have some balance. That is Kentucky. I want to see Jackson Dart against a defense who can actually make him pay for some of his screw it, I'm going deep decisions. Mm-hmm. His uh, SEC stat cat, I think, had him as his average depth of target, like meaning how much, how, how often does he just say, screw it, I'm going downfield? Um is is really really high mm-hmm. it's it's higher than it needs to be right now i want to say he was leading the sec in that category um i also want to see quinshawn judkins against sec competition not because i'm skeptical just because i think he's really fun to watch as a true freshman old miss mm-hmm. is the most unproven borderline top 15 team going into october i mean they are they're a mystery if all of a sudden they just flip that switch and you're seeing this passing game look like it did last year and Jackson Dart's decision-making still early in his career so that you still expect him to be able to continue to improve, then who knows what this team is capable of because they have shown a lot of promise defensively, but still I do think it's going to be a little bit Jekyll and Hyde with this team. Mm -hmm. 30 new pieces. That's 
that that is a hard thing to to get right early in the season if you have a difficult schedule, but they had a favorable schedule. So Ole Miss did exactly what it needed to do. Got to 4-0 going into that SEC opener, and now you really get to find out kind of who you are. NIU and Kentucky, the team that Ole Miss will be facing next week. The one thing I liked, Will Levis looked like he does have that depth at receiver. That is big. Tavion Robinson, Barry and Brown both had big days. You see that burst that those guys have after the catch. They both have a Wandale-like burst in the passing game. Scangarell had the perfect play call for one of those one of those plays where Robinson beat his man against this all-out blitz. They had no safety over the top, 69 yards to the house. Levis has some of those guys. He does in the passing game, and he needs them. He really does because Kentucky's offensive line is not a vintage group. This is not the big blue wall that we have come to expect in years past. Their Love pass the protection blue wall. Got to stick with that one. <laughs> when they are back, we got to remember that one. Yes, and they still get called that on the broadcast. I'm like, ah, let's let's save that for an offensive line. That's that's really good. Levis is taking too many sacks. He just is. And maybe he's trying a little bit too hard for the Burrow comps by taking all those sacks, but he has taken <laughs> that's, that's, that's a Burrow cop, I believe. Yes. That's yeah, that's that's the spin zone here. He's just trying to show that he can be Joe Burrow by taking a million sacks and still being able to sit stay in a game, show that he's durable. He's taking 16 sacks this year. That's against NIU, Youngstown State, Florida, who um got him actually the least with only three sacks and then mm-hmm. Miami of Ohio. He's taken a lot of hits and There's Levis Miami needs America though. People forget. That's true. That's true. Great point. Um, it is the powerhouse Miami program. Yeah. Um, Levis needs reliable guys in the passing game who can make something out of nothing because this ground game really hasn't been able to show that against weaker competition that it can impose its will. And we know now that the weaker competition is kind of in the past if not for that second half against Florida with the improved rushing against a, a Gator defense that was looked pretty tired, but they were smart to recognize that, I think mm-hmm. we'd be having a different conversation about this Kentucky running game. The good news for Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez back for the Ole Miss game next week. Yep. Good to have C-Rod back for that program. They need him. They need the yards after contacts because the yards before first contact, uh, I don't know that it's going to be there necessarily. And I, I do have some skepticism about – how Kentucky is going to be able to hang if they don't get some immediate improvement up front to be able to kind of help out what they want to do offensively. Again, they don't have a ton of extra protections in there. They want to be able to spread teams out with with what they do with those receivers. They want to give Will Levis plenty of options. They're not sitting there with a ton of six-man protections or anything like that because this is the system that they have. But Kentucky gets a win. They avoid having that embarrassing loss heading into SEC play. Mm-hmm. Or I guess game number two for them in SEC play. Okay, Charlotte, South Carolina. The one thing I liked, Marshawn Lloyd. If you haven't seen the two monster runs that he had in this game, go back and watch them. He totally cleared a dude on a hurdle and not a guy who, not a defender who went low on him. The the defender looked like he was going for for like his his numbers where he was trying to tackle him. And he still just soared about, it was incredible. Unbelievable play. I don't care who that's against. I realize it's against Charlotte. And then he just... Truck this poor Charlotte defender. Oh my gosh. And he hit Pater. He scored on both plays too, which that's the key. That's always so much better to cap it off in basketball. If you cross someone up, you got to make the shot. Got it. Yeah. You got to make it. It's almost a meme on you. If you don't make the shot. Exactly. If, if you leave a guy and you're just staring at him, you're like, I, I just had, I just got you. You can't mm-hmm. then just clank it off the side of the rim. You can't, you can't do that. You got to be able to make the shot. Marshawn Lloyd made the shot both times. South Carolina basically said in this one, Hey, we don't really want to throw the ball. <laughs> We'd rather give the ball to Marshawn Lloyd, let him triple his career high. Smart move. 
paid off. You know, they're able to take hard over. to disagree with that logic, really. Yeah, it was only Charlotte, but this game was what South Carolina fans have been waiting for for Lloyd. And you know, you know that he was out that whole first year, and last year he's kind of in the crowded backfield. They had Kevin Harris, and they're trying. They they really had that bad offensive line, so he wasn't really able to kind of get going. If you're Marcus Satterfield, you at least have to try. You have to try to start feeding him more to take some of the pressure off the passing game. The problem is that in the three games before this, like before Charlotte, <laughs> pre-Charlotte, so let's say. Charlotte, he averaged three yards a carry, and he did not have yeah. a, a run longer than 13 yards. So how much of this was Charlotte competition? How much of this was Lloyd looking like the best possible version of himself? We'll, we'll kind of see and we'll wait for that to play out. But ideally, you got to make this guy the focal point. He's he's ready. He looked, man, he just looked fresh. He looked like he had that burst. And that was a, a welcome sight. South Carolina, we talked about it. They, they needed a, a breather, a laugher type of game. Didn't look like it early on, but in the second half, they really got going in this one. They have South Carolina State coming up next week. You would think two consecutive weeks of being able to exhale a little bit after a really challenging start to the schedule. All right, let's talk some New Mexico LSU. Um, you know the one thing I liked. You know it. Noah Kane? Of course. Duh. Our boy. We are Noah Kane apologists, all bang the drum team selection. He has been pretty much buried on the depth chart behind Armani Goodwin, behind John Emery. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday night, he got rolling. Busted loose for that 49-yard score, wherein he kind of ran right through the converging New Mexico tacklers, fended off a couple of others. I remember watching him at IMG back in 2018, and he would make plays like that all the time. I mean, he was so good between the tackles, and I don't know if it's kind of a mixture of bad offensive line play, um, not being able to stay on the field, the fact that he was in a pretty crowded backfield at Penn State, but he just kind of hasn't really had that, hey, I've arrived, I'm the player that you thought I was going to be uh, Mm -hmm. type of moment up until what we saw on Saturday night, albeit against some lesser competition. I think he needs... A little bit more run. I do. And mm-hmm. I think LSU has some options in the backfield. That's that's the good news. This offensive line is what it is. We know they're not going to be world beaters. This isn't going to be some vintage LSU offensive line. But I, I do like their backs. And I like seeing Kane kind of get going and get, get his confidence back up. Because they might need to ride the hot hand in SEC play in some of these games to get some pressure off of Jaden Daniels. Because too many times when he drops back, it just looks like, oh, man, he's a sitting duck back there. And you need to be able to have these backs to be able to even running some of these draw plays where they can get some of that pressure off him. And I think Kane can be a big part of that. Are you now a, a Noah Kane believer like I am? Oh, I always have been. And like, this is LSU fans like don't like it when I say this, but honestly, like I don't really get the point of John Emery anymore because honestly the role that John Emery should have been in for the last couple of years. And he's like academic issues, which may not even be his fault. I understand that. Yeah. But like, I just don't get why we, wh- how he's better than Noah Kane because Noah Kane is like, John Emery was a five-star recruit, and that's kind of what people are holding on to. But I don't know, like for the for the Thunder part of it, I feel like Noah Kane's there. And then I just love Armani Goodwin, man. I like the Running the guys hard. I love. The guys I love as rushers on this team are first and foremost Jaden Daniels, then yeah. probably Armani Goodwin, then Noah Kane. Like in terms of when the ball's in their hands, it's a problem. And I think that like Noah Kane has kind of proven that like he, if he can be a steady diet guy, if the offensive line issues get figured out, which and that, like they played really well against Mississippi State, honestly, and and in an offense that just could not move the ball. I don't really think it was the offensive line's fault as much as it was against Florida State. I just think that the play, whatever, not going to get into that. But I think the offensive line is getting a little bit better, which is hilarious because they put in a second freshman tackle. But point being, yeah, I think I like the rushing attack a lot. And it's just, 
hopefully Jaden got a little bit comfortable because he can be great whenever he's on schedule, but it's, yeah, again, we like the rushing attack here. Yeah. Jaden Daniels went out early in this game. Garrett Nussmeyer yeah. comes in, but we don't think that's going to be anything that's going to keep him out for, for action. We'll kind of wait and see the way that that plays out. Okay. Um, before we kick it to Joel Klatt, um, we have a new sponsor. We do. Um, yes, sir. I wanted to tell everyone about something that I think is going to become a mainstay in whatever tailgating grill setup that you have. Grill Blazer CEO Bob Healy is going to tell everyone about the ultimate new accessory, and then we'll go to Joel. Bob Healy, CEO of Grill Blazer, is here with us. Bob, let's get right to it. I've got a ton of college football fans listening to this who grill every single Saturday. Tell me, tell them what the grill gun and the sous vide gun are and why they are an absolutely essential product for every household. You've got to have it in order to light a charcoal grill. Uh, Gas grills have taken over the marketplace because they're so much faster than charcoal grills. You can light a a gas grill in a few minutes, actually get it on by turning the knob and pushing a button, but a charcoal grill takes... 30 minutes to get lighted up. Well, with the grill gun, you can light it in seconds. I mean, inside of a minute, you can actually be cooking your food. That's faster than you can do on char- on uh, gas grills. It's, I mean, why wouldn't you want to have one? It's, it, it, it's a gun that shoots fire. It lights it charcoal right now. I mean, right now, as soon as you put the heat on it, it you'll, you'll watch it start glowing red. And it's exciting. It's exciting to do. It, it's a great conversation piece when you're when you have friends over and you're uh, drinking a beer or, <clears throat> or sitting back and, and telling stories, you can just light the grill and put the food on. You can do that with the grill gun. And there is no other tool that you can do that with, except for buying a, a, you know, a big clumsy looking weed torch that you can do too. You can do it with that, but you wouldn't want to. Not, not when you have the opportunity of doing it with something that really looks cool and is much more effective than those weed torches. Yeah. City gun, perfect for searing your meat. If you want to, if like, for instance, uh, if you've got a gas grill and you're not wanting to chuck it and you just want to uh, find a reason for a sous vide gun, you can slow cook it. You can uh, sous vide or um, bake your piece of meat in whatever way you want to do it and then put a final sear on it in just seconds. So the sous vide gun is the perfect torch for the kitchen, a culinary torch, and the, the grill gun is the perfect torch for outside on the grill. Yeah. So to recap, yes, if you if you own a charcoal grill, grill gun is for you. If you own a gas grill like me, but you still want to be able to sear your meat, lock in all those juices, or you want to start a fire, backyard fire pit, something like that, the sous vide gun is for you as well. Comes with the bottle stand so you can safely store it with your propane tank. Read the safety manual, of course. And getting this from point A to point B, because if I'm going to a tailgate, Bob, what, what do people need to remember to be able to safely transport your product? Uh, don't keep the uh, propane bottle connected to it in case you have an accident or something like that. It won't, uh, won't damage the propane bottle or, or in itself. Just transport them separately. Uh, the little one pound bottles are what I'm talking about. Now you, you can also buy the eight foot hose that'll allow you to tether it to a 20 pound bottle. The way I have it on my charcoal grill, where you just have the grill gun hanging on the grill and it's uh, connected to the 20 pound propane bottle and it just it's there anytime I want to use it. Well, with the one pound bottles, it's portable and you can you can throw that into your trunk, put the grill gun in the trunk, head to the tailgate. And then when you get there, let your jar go up, uh, be cooking your burgers like or your brat and just be doing it in moments. 
I'm telling everyone this is going to become an essential part of your game day ritual. Go to grillblazer.com for more info. Bob, appreciate it. Thank you. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest, somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, one of the best minds in college football, Joel Klatt. Joel, you just recently launched the Joel Klatt Show, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. How in the world did it take you this long to get a <laughs> podcast? You should have had one 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, short answer, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what took me so long. I think it, there was a confluence of things. I, I couldn't do anything outside of Fox, and they weren't real into podcasts until recently. So I think that's probably the main reason. And then uh, when they approached me, I said, absolutely, I'd be interested. And it was uh, something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And just trying to kind of, you know, work our way into the space. Uh, it's been really well received so far. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to find my rhythm. We're doing three a week right now. Uh, but yeah, it's been so much fun. I Listen, I love this sport. Um, maybe sometimes to a fault. Uh, and getting to just share my thoughts and, and the conversations that I get to have around the country uh, is really exciting. I'm also really excited for the offseason. It's going to change forms a little bit in the offseason. I'll do a lot of draft prep, um, and so you'll get some NFL draft on, on the show. And then I'm also going to try to do really long conversations, not interviews, with some of the more influential people in the sport. Um, you know, think commissioners and and so on and so forth, and try to sit down and talk through all the issues that everyone has questions about postseason structure, governance, things like that actually interest me way too much. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do a podcast and we'll see, we'll see how how that resonates with all the fans out there. I thought you were just going to say because you loved going on Cowherd and being able to dunk on him at every chance that you get, and that's why. That's you're right. Maybe I'll bring him fans. on just so that I can posterize him more often. <laughs> Uh, we're going to put the, I mean, many, many people consider you the most fair voice in college football. I, I know a lot of people who, who are tuning in on a, on a weekly basis to be able to, to watch Fox or to watch whatever it is that you are talking about. They feel like you are kind of this voice of reason that we need in college football. We're going to put that to the test today. We are, we, we definitely right. will. Um, you take some heat for not necessarily being at Danny, Danny Cannell levels of anti SEC, Boy, there, there's definitely some, some of that, that that's been kind of talked about with you. Let me, let me ask you this in a different way. Got if it. you were told, hey, there's a conference that won 12 of the last 16 national titles, and it came from five different programs, would it be weird if there wasn't some sort of bias to that conference? Um, yes. It just depends, right? I think everything is, is, is nuanced. It's the best conference in college football and has been for a long time. Um, those that say that about me never recognize the fact that I say exactly what I just said. It's the best conference in college football. Um, and I have said that for years, uh, in particular at the top. Um, where I push back is the narrative that the entire conference is so much better than everywhere else. You know, I think that the top is really, really good. And the middle of the conference at times has struggled, as times has been ha, has been strong. I think all of that is ever-changing in college football. There are years when the middle of the Big Ten is really strong and they've got great 
quarterback play. There's there's years where the Big 12 has been strong. We haven't seen that strength out of the Pac-12 and certainly not out of the ACC. But yes, the, the bias towards the SEC, what's, what tends to start getting people irritated outside of that footprint is this assumption that any win in the conference is some majestic great win. And that is not afforded to other places. Um, the, so it, it's it's that type of narrative. And it's also the narrative of, of the fan bases that are not elite in the SEC that are just coattail riders. They chant it like it's their own school chant. And it's so annoying from the outside looking in, in particular when some of those programs are not successful at all. And, and in non-conference bowl game scenarios, they like they don't pull their own weight and then they just puff their chest out and they say, well, look at our conference. It's highly annoying. Name names. Who's who's the biggest? Uh, oh, Tennessee has been like that for a number of years and they have not been very good for a long time. Uh, Texas A&M is an average team um, that – in particular, if you look at the last 10 years, they had kind of the Manziel run. They had a good year in COVID outside of that. They've lost at minimum four games in every single year in the last 10, those eight outside of those two. Um, they've only been ranked in two of those eight years, uh, and they've been 32 and 32 in SEC play. So it's like I, I, I don't understand uh, that. Um you get a lot like South Carolina does it. All these teams that that have not done much, they will puff their chest chest out. And, and it's frustrating from the rest of the country. And then what ends up happening is that once we get into the time frame that we have um, playoff rankings, is, is you will see the bias start to creep at the bottom of the rankings. And it's like some team will will win a game. And then they'll just show up in the rankings. And it's every single time when you look, not every time, that's uh, that would be more so. But in the bottom of the range, from 15 to 25, what you'll see is the highest ranked three-loss team, always SEC. Highest ranked four-loss team creeps in there at 25. And then all of a sudden, the resumes above that all of a sudden look really good. I've, I've said many times, like, I, I don't – agree with the way that the playoff committee ranks teams. So that being said, though, I mean, college football is a subjective sport. And when you do win that many national championships and when you've got the two or three best programs in the country year in and year out, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think that that's fair as well. I think part of the pushback, too, and why that narrative exists isn't necessarily that the SEC is overwhelmingly dominant in every single situation. It's not that it's middle of the pack is the best on a yearly basis, because I agree with you. I think there are certain years in which the middle of the pack of the SEC is not very good, but yeah. I think the SEC has the least amount of places that you can poke holes at. And here's what I mean by that. Big 10, one team that has been to a national championship in the 21st century, one team that has won a playoff game. Pac-12 hasn't had a team in the playoffs since 2016. Big yep. 12 hasn't won a playoff game yet. ACC in the college football playoff era, Clemson and everyone else. So you can poke these holes at all these other conferences in a way that you can't necessarily get to with the SEC. And the fact that the SEC is what now, what, like 
12 and three in, in playoff games when they're not playing each other is definitely part of that. So like, oh, yeah. it's hard to just, dis- it, it's so difficult because now in you in this spot and you have a Heisman vote, right? Like you're, you're talking about the most important award. How do you not defer to the conference that has those things where you can't necessarily poke holes? I got to imagine though, it, like you do give the SEC your, like it's flowers, so to speak. And you are the guy who had three SEC teams in the top four in the preseason. You talked about AM. So like, how difficult is it for you to kind of balance that when you know, all right, I- I'm seeing different things on a weekly basis on Saturdays. Yeah. So I think trying to, I think trying to strip out like your evaluation of Alabama and Georgia can't bleed into into a narrative about their conference and the same for Ohio State and Michigan Penn State right so I think that the 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 playoff and the subjective nature of the four-team playoff has accelerated this conversation this debate about the entire conference and the strength of the entire conference I don't remember it being as prevalent prior maybe it was I don't think that it was though and, and in part because it would just kind of play out on its own. So I think trying to balance out is, is I, wanna, I want to watch teams for who they are and try to block out the noise about I've got to view that team not only for who they are, but the conference that they're in. I just don't think that – we should do that, you know, and I might be wrong. I know it's a, I know it's a great conference. I, there's no doubt. It's the best conference in America. There's, there's no doubt. Um, there are years in which my honesty about the middle of their conference gets me labeled an SEC hater, you know, uh, Rosillo goes on his podcast and I like Ryan and, but he's like, Joel Klatt hates the SEC. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. I hate false narratives, and sometimes they exist. Um, And sometimes I'll push back against those. But I've had an SEC team ranked number one in the country like every week for two straight years. You know, I I think I put Ohio State up there that year. They had Chase Young. I put them up there a couple of weeks because I thought that they were an incredible team. You know, um, I had Clemson up there a couple of times with Trevor Lawrence. But other than that, it's been like basically Alabama or Georgia. So I feel like I will give everybody their due when when it's due. Um, but I think the, the the main part is just making sure that you are evaluating the team for the team and not everything around it. I thought you were great on the call for Alabama, Texas and being able to probably <laughs> Alabama fans did not like it. But like, I thought you actually gave Bryce Young a lot of credit given the circumstances. Well, he was great. He was great. So like, you great. came away from that more impressed with him than probably what the box score. Or what if you if you're just like, oh, it's Fox, it's Joe Clyde. He's not going to give the SEC its credit. Like you actually, I thought in that game were like, no, 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 no. What Bryce Young is doing right now, this this is special. Well, <clears throat> I, I I believed it. They don't win that game without him being great. I think the quote that, or not the quote, the line that I gave is that great players don't just play great. They play great when greatness is needed. And that's what was needed in the fourth quarter. He was 15 of 19, I believe, in the fourth quarter for over 130 yards in a day in which they hadn't done anything. 
he wasn't getting any help. The run game was atrocious. Outside of the one long run for a touchdown, the running backs averaged just over two and a half yards, which is not going to cut it, obviously. Um, and it's not like Texas was a world beater defense, although they played really well that day. His wide receivers weren't getting open. They were dropping passes. They weren't detailed in their route running. By the way, that lack of detail in their route running is the reason they lost to Georgia. Once they got their big guns injured last year, Bryce had no one to throw to in that game. Late, they were getting covered. They wouldn't fight for the ball. One of the picks was because a wide receiver wouldn't fight for the ball. So those problems started to creep up again. And it was like, man, if he doesn't put a cape on his back, they're going to lose the game. And he did. He did. Yeah, they did some things schematically where they started attacking the linebackers. And I think Texas started playing a little bit safer on defense structurally, putting two safeties back which allows more state uh, uh, room to attack those second-level defenders. They started attacking them into the boundary. But still, like, B Bryce went out and won the game, and when I see something like that, I'm certainly going to talk about it. I think he's a fabulous player. When I watch him on film, I, he just screams number one pick in the draft to me. Nobody in 2017 – when we're talking about this this Alabama Texas game, this great game where Alabama's finally going to play a non conference game uh, on a you know on, on a different college site, and nobody would have believed though back then that that Tom Herman wouldn't be the coach for that game, and mm -hmm. that Sark of all people would be in year two for Texas. Um, I don't remember anybody questioning the Scott Frost hire at Nebraska. It was his home run of a hire as there's been in college football in the last decade. The question I've been asked about a lot is why didn't it work? Mm. Because it was supposed to be a shoe in correct me if I'm wrong here, but what that told us is just that we never actually have these hires figured out and hiring a coach is kind of more of a coin flip than any of us care to admit. Um, yeah, I mean, the premise of what you're talking about is exactly right. I thought Scott was a home run. Uh, Tom, after the Sugar Bowl win against Georgia, it looked like, well, that's working. And then it didn't. I think that what we fail to realize is that that job is, is bigger than just the one guy. And for the one guy to be really successful, a lot of things have to happen. And we don't generally talk about all those things as fans. We just focus on the one guy. He's either winning or losing, and then that's the end of it for us. So he's either going to be fired or, or not fired. And, and the reality is, is that having success in any one of these programs is about so much more than just that individual. It's his ability to recruit and hire a staff, Okay. So he's got to have buy-in from the athletic director to have the requisite contracts to pay the right money to the staff to get in there and, and be, be coaches. Sometimes guys get hired, and what we fail to realize is no one wants to work with them. You know, I mean, look at – I'm trying – I don't want to knock Brian Kelly, but no one really went down there with him from LSU. Tommy Reese so stayed. Not, yeah. yeah, Tommy Reese stayed. You know, Freeman obviously gets the job, but it's like – there's a, there's a great story, by the way, of Nick Saban taking the LSU job from Michigan State. And I'm sure you've heard it. He said, hey, whoever wants to get on the plane has a job, period, period. Nobody got on the plane. Not one guy. By the way, GAs on that Michigan State team, Josh McDaniels and, and Adam Gase, who have been NFL head coaches. But <clears> – <throat> 
So, so there's that. Then, then there's the alignment of the support. Okay. So, so for instance, the AD has to be completely supportive of the coach and they have to know the plan and they have to agree on the plan. The chancellor or the board of regents have to understand the plan. They've got to back the plan. You've got to have the correct funding in place for all the recruiting staff. You've got to have a recruiting identity. You've got to have a recruiting footprint. You can't miss on those players at all. You can't miss. You've got to have the right donors that don't value their own opinion too much. Because like at a place like Texas, part of the problem is there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody wants a say because they're a big, you know, bad donor. And because of that, they've had a lot of dysfunction surrounding the program. So is all of that just about one guy? Kind of, but not always. And so then you can start not seeing success. And then you get to this. It's still a crapshoot to actually win games, right? Like Nebraska was talented last year and had a bad schedule, meaning a tough schedule and lost a bunch of one possession games. Then they lose all their defensive players and they roll out this year and they start getting bludgeoned. So it's it's hard to understand why it works and, and why it doesn't work. If, if we knew why it works, then Texas A&M would be successful because they've got all the money in the world and all the want to. Texas would always be successful. There are things that we just don't understand about the success of football programs or else everyone would go be successful. You had a wild experience last week in Lincoln. Um, yeah. Gus Johnson, partner in crime. For those who, who don't know the story, uh, you guys have been together for the last six years. He's under the weather oh, for the seven. Second. This is our eighth year together. Eighth year together. And then is it your sixth year with, with you two and Jenny Taft as well? Yes, with Jenny, it's our sixth. So yeah, the the, the trio six, but yeah, eight years together. Yeah. I mean, you guys know each other like like the back of your hand. I mean, Gus is out in the second half of that game and is under the weather. And for those who don't really know the broadcasting dynamics, they might think, oh, two guys in the booth, they, you know, they, they can kind of just trade off each other. That's easy. No, 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 no. Different story. You you have to do play by play in this game. And I've talked to Cole Kublik about that because he had to do it when Tom Hart's power went out with COVID 2020. Um, I think I would compare this situation to a 13-year-old kid at home with your dad, and he's like, Hey, I need you to drive me to the hospital. Um, you're more prepared than a 13-year-old kid, but how was that experience for you? Uh no, it's it's a good analogy, actually. Um, you know, it was first there was just like the concern for Gus, right? Because this is this is a guy that I'm very close with. You know, in, in some respects, you know, we're, we're like brothers. You know, we have to go out there in this pressurized environment every Saturday and deliver. And because of that, we've grown very close. So I was just worried about him. He wasn't feeling well at all. And so I was hoping and, and, at, and at some point it's like, I'm not going to let him go on the air like that, you know, because I just want to protect him. And so there was this element of like, you know, that fight or flight mentality, like if there's an emergency around, you're either in and helping or you're not. And that's kind of what I felt is just like my partner, my brother is not feeling it. I'm not going to let him go out there and um, be under the weather and, you know, potentially make a mistake or, you know, something happen. So I got to step up. And so I just said, listen, give me the cards. You know, I put my headset on. There was about a minute back from halftime. Um, and I said, give me the cards. And they said, okay, and then what do you need? And I said, well, is someone coming up? They said, yep, Brady's coming up. I said, great. And then at that moment, I didn't have much time to think about it. They just said, okay, 30 back. And it's like, all right. And so I'm just in my own head. And then they're, they, they 
They tell my producer says, you know, give an update what's going on and let's go play football. That's all I had, right? I've never done play-by-play in my life. I've never done radio play-by-play. I've never done any of that. So um, you just do it. I knew that we needed to make sure that all the sold items, you know, were executed correctly because that's really important to the broadcast. That's the reason we're there. And I wanted to make sure we executed the sold items and that I gave the game its due. It wasn't going to turn into a joke. It wasn't going to turn into something that was going to be a meme on social media. We were going to do the best we possibly could because I've been a player as well. And those guys are down there and they're playing their hearts out. And those coaches are coaching as hard as they can. And they deserve as good of a broadcast as we can give them. That's legitimately all I thought about. I want to protect Gus. Let's make sure we get and execute the, the technical aspects of our broadcast. And let's not make this a joke. Let's do the best we can for these players that are playing down there. The way that you watch the game, it kind of reminds me of when I listen to Troy Aikman. Because you, you two both, for former quarterbacks, you have this incredible ability to not necessarily just watch the ball, which is the toughest thing to be able to take your eyes off of, in my opinion. And that's what separates the good football minds from the great football minds. Would you ever want to do any sort of play-by-play or was making that change probably for you like something that you're just like, nah, that'd be a little bit too difficult to program my brain out of that? I love analyzing the game. Love it. And my dad was a coach. Um, ever since I can remember when I was a little boy, I would be, you know, at the kitchen table, sitting in his lap with the reel to reel game film, just back and forth, watching his high school team with him. I love the schematics of the game. I love trying to unlock the game and the schematics, almost like a Rubik's cube for the viewer so that the viewer feels smarter and more plugged into the game. That's my passion. So no, like I don't I don't have any desire to go be a play-by-play guy. I remember Dan Fouts did that late in his career. Like I don't I I don't want to do that. I do think like in a pinch when needed, yeah, like you know, I'll step up and can do whatever you need to do. I, the only thing I will say is is like in the off season, if there's golf to be called, mm. then I'm in because I love golf. I like that. So, I mean, there, there are opportunities there. I, I, I was going to ask you what you want to be doing for the next 30 years, because obviously you're in such a dream role right now with Fox and with the, the expansion of what Fox is doing and the new TV deal, all those different things. You're set up really, really well. But like, what's what else is, is, is being put on the plate? Because you look at somebody like Herbie, where Herbie's taking on the NFL and he's doing yeah. the Amazon Prime stuff. Like, is there anything else in addition to maybe golf? You're like, hey, this is this kind of would pique my interest. Um, listen, I'm a, I'm a competitor at heart. And so I, my desire is to do the biggest and best football games that I can. I love college football. I love it. I mean, I legitimately, it oozes, you know, from me, I would love to call a national championship game. You know, right now, that's a goal. Now, that's not something that I can earn, right? We're either going to get the contract or we're not at some point when it expands. So it's a it's a bit out of my hands in, in that regard. People have asked me about the NFL before. And the bottom line is, like, if those opportunities come up in the future, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But for right now, I could not be doing anything that I love more than calling college football games with Gus, with Ginny at Fox, in particular with the way that we've invested in the product, in particular with the way that we've invested in, in the next decade in the sport 
I do think that we're going to have a really good chance to be involved in the expansion of the playoffs. I do think that we'll be able to call a national championship game. And that's what I'm focused on right now. Um, the thir 30 years seems like a long time because if you had asked me 10 years ago, Hey, do you think you're going to be calling games with Gus and then fill in when he gets sick on a Nebraska, Oklahoma guy, I would be like, no way. Like that's, that's wild. So I have no idea what the future holds, but I can tell you right now, I'm certainly loving what I do. Okay. I just want to, I want to make sure that that's out there of like, Hey, we're not, we're not taking anything off the table. We, you know, it, it, whatever comes in addition to a national championship, because you have a gift for it and you're very, very good. I'm not just blowing smoke. I appreciate that. Saying. And you know, what's interesting though, is, is that, I do think our industry has changed a little bit over the course of the last four or five years in that the value of the booth has gone up, you know, oh, yeah. the experience in the booth because there have been high profile packages that have struggled in the booth and people realize like, Hey, listen, I probably can't tell you when it's great, but I can tell you when it's bad. And I don't like it when it's bad. You know, the, the rights, those that have the rights to sell the NFLs and the conferences of the world, they, they want something that their fans really appreciate and, and love. And then the other side of it is that I, I do believe that resume has started to be minimized mm -hmm. and your acumen for the job has started to be elevated. Um, I've been told in my career, I'm not going to name names or places. I have been told, sorry, you don't have a Heisman, like go away. And I was like, okay, nothing I can do, do about that. So <clears throat> I think that's changing, you know, maybe not on the studio side, but certainly the game side, the acumen for the ability to call the game and analyze the game, I think is, is being elevated every year. Agreed hundred uh, percent. I want to close with uh, some rapid fire, just, just five questions. First thing that comes to mind, does that work for you? Yeah, you bet. True or false, the rise of the SEC can be attributed to the lowered cost of air conditioning. Ah, I said that one time. <laughs> I'm Rosillo. I think, I think that's a fascinating argument. <laughs> I really do. Because of population movement in general. Um, because if, if you look at 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, like where the population was in our country, it was north. Industry was up there. And so when you, when you couple... Lots of different things, you know, like the 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 rise of of the availability of air conditioning, the mo the movement of industry and business and and everything that you, yeah, I mean that's there's a reason why the population moved, you know, whether it's business, air conditioning. I know. Listen, a lot of people roll their eyes, but I don't think that that's, I don't think it's crazy. I roll my eyes just because I live in Orlando and I paid seven grand for a new air conditioner last week and that was not fun. So the lowered price, I'm not really seeing what you're talking about with that. Um, Got it. Number two, the biggest problem in college football right now, besides the playoff, because we already talked about that, is what? Uh, lack of governance. Mm -hmm. uh, so we desperately need a centralized body to govern college football. And I'm not talking about the NCAA because they govern way too many sports at all levels. You can't govern Mount Union the same way that you govern Alabama. They can't have the same rules. That's that's idiotic. And that's the, the structure that we've been under forever. And that needs to change and that's starting to change. So there needs to be a centralized governing body over just college football. It, it doesn't include volleyball. It doesn't include soccer. None of that. 
College football needs a governing body. It needs to help with things like transfer portal and NIL, and it needs to have some teeth when it comes to the ability to enforce rules and set rules. And maybe the that body can collectively bargain with the players association. But that that is that is a must. I don't know if it's a singular commissioner, but it's certainly an office, and it needs to govern just major college football. And we need that desperately in a major way. Yeah, I think that that organization give give them part of the TV contract that's happening in the future, whether it's twenty million bucks. Well, to I've, be able to I've argued them. that the CFP should essentially be that body because it's already kind of formed. It already has a revenue structure involved because it has inventory to sell. And I would actually increase that inventory and the power of the purse for that body by putting every non-conference game in America under the CFP television contract. Mm -hmm. Then we can start to schedule non-conference games for teams and we can start to drive parity. If you're a great team, you're going to play a tougher schedule. There's no reason in the world that Vanderbilt and Utah should be playing six true road games this year while Michigan and Ohio State play four true road yep. games. Look at Michigan's schedule. It's a total joke. You know, UConn, Colorado State, and Hawaii. And I get it. That, like, why not play that if you can get away with it? You're going to fill up the stadium. You're going to fill up your coffers with money. But those are the things that that we need to be more forward thinking of is like, how do we, one, grow revenue, and two, increase the parity and quality of the sport overall? Dave Aranda, Sam Pittman, Mario Cristobal, you can buy shares of them at the same price right now. Who would you want the most shares of? Mario Cristobal. Um, that is one of the rare places. I believe there's only five, maybe six places where you do not have to step foot on a plane and you can get the number one recruiting class in the country. That's Miami is one of those spots. And so it's Mario Cristobal based on that. Best person for the Nebraska job is who? Oh, gosh. Um, probably in my mind, Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State. They need someone that understands development. They need someone that understands like toughness and physicality and discipline. And he's all of those things and understands how to win at a place where it's hard to recruit to. And I think that's also Nebraska. So I think Matt, to be honest, is somewhat of a no brainer. But I do know that Matt won't entertain having conversations until his season is done. He's got too much integrity and character to go behind his team's back and start having conversations. So I know for a fact that if Nebraska and Trev Alberts want Matt Campbell, they're going to have to wait a long time in order for that conversation to happen. Last one for you. Confirm or deny. Uh, Gus left the booth because he wanted to give way to you so that you could boost your resume, get one step closer to that Tom Brady money. Man, you know, maybe that'll come out in the book someday. Maybe there was a sum of money just slipped to Gus. Like, yep. hey, man, you know, how about you give me a little love? And he thought, all right. You'll have to wait for the book, though. The tell-all, that's coming out sometime at, okay. at some point. You just got a podcast. Now you're going to have to write a book. That's, that's the way this <laughs> works. Right. If He would roll his eyes at that. There's no doubt. Joel, really appreciate the time, man. Uh, everyone yeah. go listen to the Joel Klatt Show. Uh, best of luck with everything you got going on this year. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Joel Klatt was brought to you by No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills against the house and win 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet up, bet on up to five 
player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code STOKTASTIC. Stochastic. I'm going to spell that out for you because obviously I can't even say it. S-T-O-K-A-S-T-I-C. That's S-T-O-K-A-S-T-I-C at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app. Uh, on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today. Experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Well, we're going to steal a little bit of an idea from our friends over at ICC Final. They were doing some some weird programming at like 12 o'clock last night at midnight. ICC final after dark. No, it was, they had some sort of alternate programming and I wasn't sure what was going on. I had it on mute and I looked up because usually I, I, I list, I, I have it on like a low volume while I'm being, when I'm typing up notes, I'm finishing my one thing I learned column that I write for every single Sunday morning. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Where are my guys? Where's, where's Dari? Where's Doring? Where's Watson? You know, like we're, we're Takeo spikes, the best neck in sports. Um, <laughs> and and they, they didn't come back until like 1230, but for a little bit, I was Felt like a lost kid at the mall. It was weird. This isn't how I spent my <laughs> yeah, Saturday nights. You gotta have your routines and stuff like that. And like, yeah, that's one of my my favorite things. Is just wind down with like a little bit of like that, like whatever it's Van Pelt of Destiny Network. Like that's yeah, not having that's chaos if you're used to writing off of it. Yes, exactly. Um, the remaining unbeaten's in the mm-hmm. SEC, and then there were five: Bama, Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ole Miss. Let's rank those teams. Mm-hmm. I think I would go Georgia, Bama. Tennessee, I took a pause in there, which is important. Kentucky, mm-hmm. Ole Miss. Kentucky, Ole Miss is going to feel really weird because I think both of their fan bases are pretty frustrated at what they did this past week to only win against group of five teams by one score. And I think it's fair to have questions about both of them, despite the fact that they have both been able to get off to these undefeated starts. Both of them would love to be able to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. And ideally, they would love to be competing in their own divisions. Um, but yeah, Tulsa ran for 262 against Ole Miss. So um, C-Rod with a head of steam against that Ole Miss defense. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That game's going to be good. As they say. <laughs> yes. That game's going to be really telling, though. Um, I think Tennessee fans want to know, after beating Florida, how close they are to the top two. That, I'm going to get to ask that question a lot, I bet, this week. How close to Tennessee, to Bama, and Georgia? We won't know that until after LSU, which is after the bye, by the way. What a great week for Tennessee to have a bye. Great <laughs> week. Oh, that's the best, man. Like, it, Will, as somebody who has experienced a conference championship victory for the Saints, when you win and then you get two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl and you're just like, oh. Yep, this is the best, man. We just get to sit on that. We know Slander we want our league. everybody. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they even play well. It's like, yeah, well, they can get by. So how good, how good could they be? Nobody can step to you in that moment. Tennessee right. goes into the bye undefeated, having already beat Florida. You won your big non-conference game against Pitt. You're feeling mm-hmm. good about yourself. But that's the question that people are going to want to ask: Is how close is Tennessee to Bama? How close are they? to Georgia. They should be a top 10 team going into October. Maybe for that game against LSU, I would assume they're going to be in that spot. I'm hoping, assuming that both teams are going to have their top receivers back. Tillman, we talked about dealing with the injury that kept him out of the Florida game. And then LSU, Kayshawn Booty, a new father. Congratulations, Kayshawn Booty. Thanks to him, man. That was that was fire. It like came out. It was like he's skipping the game. But luckily in the same tweet, it was like cut for the birth of his child. And I was like, 
Good need, for him, dog. Needed Love that context that. in there. Needed that right. context because without it, you're like, oh boy, this it's right. happening. That's not good. But I hope both of those guys are able to be on the field. I hope we get a fun game between Tennessee and LSU. Um, but I think that that Tennessee right now, what's preventing them from being in that spot, we need to see the defense. We, we need to see that that defense put 60 minutes together against a quality opponent to feel like, whoa, we could be having a playoff conversation with Tennessee. I'm not there yet. You're in a great place to be 4-0 at this spot, having beat two top 25 teams. That's all well and good. There are people going to say, well, Tennessee's got a better resume than Georgia. They've got a better resume than Bama. Why aren't you saying that they're on their level? Watching some of those Florida receivers run free would make me hesitate a little bit, mm-hmm. just a little bit there. The and thing I think is, that's too, and like, like we like Tennessee a lot, and we've always liked Tennessee a lot, but you've had two different, very different styles of team that put lots of points. You have Pitt with Narduzzi that's just pounding the rock with a hurt quarterback, and you have Florida – with AR, which is like completely different. Like, and granted, it's a rushing attack too, but he's hitting guys downfield. So, like, point being, we, we were we worried about the defense going in this game, and the offense is awesome. We were right about the offense. Defense is a little bit of a question mark. You're right. Tennessee might have the best offense in college football. They do. They, their offense rules. It's great, man. Yeah. Like, they, how quickly they continue to score and how comfortable Hooker looks is uh, it, it's a sight to see. It really Without is. Without potentially the year. best receiver in the SEC. Yeah, without potentially the best receiver in the SEC in Cedric Tillman. And that was, I mean, we're the biggest Cedric Tillman fans, I think, in existence. I think it's fair to say maybe his parents are bigger fans than we are. I don't know. but Still questionable. We'll see. We haven't been able to confirm that. But yes, Tennessee definitely looked the part, has looked the part offensively, had not have those massive lulls. And they look like they're a group that's taking that next step. Um, anything else? Will? did you want to throw more shade at Miami? Perhaps throw some shade at me for another outright loss in lock of the week when it was a two touchdown favorite. I'm pretty, I'm pretty shook up about that, by the way. You know, man, it's, I feel like, are we in fade territory? And that first yes. off question, second question, are we doing any rituals? Are we, are we shaking things up? What's the game plan from here? Uh, I might just have to bet against Indiana football again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be Connor's Indiana. <laughs> it's talked about what does Anthony Richardson need to get right? What does Connor need to get right with lock of the week? It's simple. It's very simple. That's my little dump <laughs> you know off. That's my screen. Yeah. No, bet against Indiana football. Everything will kind of take care of itself. Let me ask you this. It, right now, if Tennessee played Ole Miss, you'd pick Tennessee? I picked Tennessee. Yeah, I picked Tennessee. Um and I, I like I do like some of the things that we've seen from this Ole Miss defense. I think AJ Finley's fun, um, but what what's the strength that I that I trust the most? Because Tennessee just looked really good shutting down a, a solid Florida ground game. They would yeah. force Jackson Dart into some of those tough spots, I think, and they would kind of like, all right, you want you want to try and throw the ball? Let's see Jackson Dart throw the ball thirty times a game and try and beat that defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that'd be a great matchup with what Ole Miss has shown so far in the ground game, but I would I would lean Tennessee in a neutral site game against those teams. Yeah, and that's not disrespect to Kentucky. They're just very similar game script teams. We talk about Tennessee and Ole Miss. Like, they would play a very similar – you know exactly how that game would go. Whereas Kentucky, if the game goes slowly, if they're able to dominate, like, control the tempo, they could beat either one of these teams. If they're not, if it's a shootout, we don't – you know, who knows? But I think that – I wish those teams would like this would make no sense if it would be impossible. But those two head coaches are very good matches as well. I love that game last year. Yeah. This uh hopefully we're gonna get to see both of these offenses really kind of get going. That's that's been something I think we've seen so far throughout um this this first month of the season is that quarterback play in this league is really good. And yeah. a lot of these teams are gonna feel like they have a chance week in, week out because they have studs at quarterback. 
And that makes all the difference. And even, you know, when you're down 17 points late in the game, like Florida was, and you mm-hmm. had Anthony Richardson, you're like, Hey, never know. You, you just kind of never know. Yeah, you got that dude. Uh, I think we permanently quarantined Mizzou and Auburn in the same game at noon so that we just they're the only teams without quarterbacks. Yeah, who would get to? Um, do we want to have an all time quarterback for that one? Do we want to make Robbie Ashford the all time quarterback? (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say he just gets to switch sidelines. Yeah, Cook is uh, not it anyway. Yeah, Robbie Ashford's just like beating himself up on the sideline for making one mistake. They're like, Robbie, you got to get out there. You're all time quarterback, man. You're back in. Just sweating like a Jordan commercial anyway. Yeah. yeah. Week four was fun. Uh, Fewer games moving forward. uh, Fewer non-conference games to be able to track. I know we still have two non-conference games next week, but the slate next week will be good. Cannot wait for Alabama, Arkansas, especially that one's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Arkansas loss aside. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.